huge thank you to our worship team for leading us so well. I have been anticipating this moment all week long because we are coming to the end of one of my all-time favorite sermon series. Dreamer has been special. And if you haven't been with us this month, we've been looking at the life of Joseph and saying that God has connected God-sized dreams for your life with daily frustrating struggles. And so what we're seeing in the life of Joseph is God can have this amazing picture and vision for places and spaces and people he wants to carry you to, but that's not separated from the struggle that you're facing today. In fact, that is dependent on you facing the struggle that you're facing today with a heart that is faithful before God. So we're believing God for the impossible, and it's been cool to watch people dream big. It's been cool to watch people dream again, especially the older adults in our church going, man, dreaming is not something that I've even thought about doing for a decade, but I feel like God is resurrecting something on the inside of me and doing something new. That's awesome. We're believing for the impossible, but we're also not denying the immediate. Like, we don't live in denial as Christians. We don't live in this space where we're like, it's actually not going to be that hard and not going to be that difficult. No, the fact that you do know Jesus makes it more complicated and more difficult. And the complication might not be the revealer that God is absent. It might be the exact revealer you need to be reminded that God is very present. He's ever present in his help to us while we are in trouble. And so tracking through the life of Joseph has been a game changer for me. And what we've seen is that too many Christians get overwhelmed by the difference between the dream and their experience. Like if Joseph receives that dream and then looks at his life right after he has that dream, he's going, God, the dream must have meant nothing. He has a dream that he's going to be in this influential position that his brothers are all going to bow down to him. And then immediately he is sold into slavery. And while he's sold into slavery, he is falsely accused and thrown into prison. And while he's in prison, he's forgotten. His life story looks nothing like living the dream. But he is living the dream when he doesn't give up. Everybody look up here. The only reason why a child of God doesn't live the dream God has for them is because they give up too soon. They interpret the difficulty as evidence that God's not in it, and they tap out. And so last week, we talked about remaining faithful even when it looks like God's not working, even when it feels like God's not working. He can use all things to work for your good and for his glory. And so this is a bittersweet moment for me. We're going to put Joseph away, and I don't really want to, but it's a sweet moment for me because this message is where I got the idea for this series in the first place. I was reading the story of Joseph, and I got to the part in the story that we're going to read today where Joseph is reunited with his brothers after 20 years, and my immediate thought was, that moment must have looked so different in his dreams than the way it looked in reality. And when his brothers are all coming to him for grain, and they don't know that it's him, they just know that they need food, but Joseph knows that it's them and he's going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, this is the final fulfillment of my dream. Not only did the whole world come down before me to look up to me and depend on me, but now here are my brothers in need of me. God has made my dream come true and it feels nothing like I thought it would because 
in the moment where all of Joseph's dreams came true, he got to see a piece of God's dream for his life that he was not expecting. And I believe that very few of you in this room showed up today expecting what you're about to hear. And I cannot wait to see the look on your face when I tell you the title of this sermon. The final installment of Dreamer is titled, Family is the Dream. Family is the dream. So to remove the tension and the awkwardness, if you're sitting around family, go ahead and look at your family members and go, this might get awkward. If you're around your family, if you're not, look around at your friends and go, oh, this is not about us. We're good. We're good. This is not about us. We are going to talk about family. I believe what we're going to see today is that God's dreams for your life are never disconnected from the health of your closest family relationships. God's dreams for your life are never disconnected from the health of your relationship with your family. And the reason why I believe that is because when God created humanity, family was the dream. You need to understand that of all the things God created... When God created humanity in his own image, there was a special bond, a special level to that connection that we are able to experience relationships with each other that looks like God's relationship with himself. Now, that sounds weird coming out of my mouth, but you need to hear this. God in himself is not an individual. He's a family. He functions as a community. So when God imparts his image into humanity, the strongest bond that you have and I have in my soul is a bond to belong to a family. And so we can't do a whole series about dreams and all these things God wants to do in and through your life and seeing your God-sized potential come to be without talking about the one thing God wanting to address in all of this for Joseph was his deepest wound and it had everything to do with family. God was forming a family. He reveals himself in the scriptures as a heavenly father. And so until we learn to function the way God has called us to function in our families, we'll never be able to step into our role as children of God in God's family. So we got to talk about family. And for a lot of us, this is going to hurt. For a lot of us, this is going to be a don't go there. And for some of you, you're like, of course you waited until parents weekend to do that. Oh, I, I, that was God. Don't blame me. God set this moment up. So here's, here's who we're going to be talking about. I know that, that, that a lot of big families are in this room, and a lot of us are like family with our cousins and our aunts and our uncles and our grandparents. But specifically, I, I just want to put a preface onto this. I'm talking about our closest family relationships. I want to start with fathers and mothers, and we'll put all these on the screen. If you have a mom and a dad, this message is for you. And if you're here and you're going, I never met my dad, this message is especially for you. All of us were born into this world to two sinful human beings. And that has had an effect on us for better or for worse that got us to who we are today. But the first relationship we have to confront and that we're going to talk about is your relationship with your parents. So right now in your head, just think about you and your parents. If they're on your row, give them a wink. If they're not alive, I want you to know you're not disqualified from this message, and you're going to see why as we go through it. Fathers and mothers. The second one I want to talk about, this one's going to be fun, brothers and sisters. Hello, siblings, brothers and sisters. If you're here and you're like, I'm an only child, this is the only person in the room who gets to be a little bit exempt from any of these categories. We're going to talk about our relationships with our siblings, and we're going to talk about husbands and wives. 
So if you're married, this is for you. If you're getting married soon, this message is especially for you. If you want to be married, the 7 p.m. tonight is for you. And uh, bring your Bible. And uh, if you hope to get married, if you have any baggage in your life from a previous marriage, some of you who may be divorced, maybe you were widowed, maybe there was something that happened, some brokenness to that relationship, I believe God's going to use this to speak to you. And then lastly, we're going to talk about sons and daughters. If you have kids, if you want to have kids, if you believe in the power of generations, this message is for you. Now, here's the thing about these four types of relationships. The bonds we experience in those relationships are more intimate and close than any other bond you can have with another human being. That's not an accident. God planted that on the inside of you and the inside of me. And so the reason why fathers and mothers have such a tremendous effect on who we become is because God reveals himself as a parent. It's huge that when Jesus prayed, he said, pray like this, our father in heaven. Do you know that threw off the whole system that Jesus would say, the way you relate to God is you call him dad. You cry out from the spirit of God on the inside of you, Abba, father, you are a member of the family of God. But then you throw on brothers and sisters, and you're like, well, what does that have to do with the Bible? God wasn't just trying to form a family of individuals. He was trying to create a new humanity through the blood of Jesus on the cross where there's no longer any division on the basis of political party or racial boundary or socioeconomic status. Like, your brothers and sisters in God's eyes are the people sitting all around you right now. God was creating a family that no one is exempt or left out of our brothers and sisters in Christ and husbands and wives, the most intimate relationship two human beings can share is a small picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. What the Bible tells us in Ephesians 5 is that as the church submits to Christ, so also the wife must submit to her husband, that there's this relationship of out-serving one another, of loving one another that shows the world who Jesus is. And then sons and daughters, I believe you will never function in your relationship with God the way God has called you to until you accept your identity as a child of God. So the reason why these relationships in your life have such a deep bond is because God has painted a picture of who he is through those relationships universally, and we experience a closeness and a, a love that is unlike any other relationship because we are made in the image of God. So that's the foundation I need to put in place. Family is the dream, and God is dreaming, I believe, today of doing something about the way you relate to your family. I don't know your story. I don't know what you're carrying, but I do know of the thousands of people attending Auburn Community Church today, there's a lot of baggage here. We got families that the world would look at and say, they're the perfect family, and they would admit that they're not. We got people in this room who no one really knows how much pain you're in because you've never really let anyone in on what happened at your house growing up. We got people covering up pain. We got people overexposing their wounds and calling it community, but really you just throw up on everybody because you're in so much pain from what's happening in your family. We got people who have no idea the level of trauma that they've actually experienced because they need a professional to look them in the eyes and say, you need to confront some of this stuff. We've got divorces. We've got half-siblings. We've got step-siblings. We've got tension. We've got broken relationships. We've got adults in this room whose 
parents are still alive and they haven't talked in decades. And we've got the perfect Auburn picture of a nice southern family that never really talks much about Jesus in the room. We got, we got a lot. We got a lot of age groups. We got a lot of seasons. We got a lot of different families in the room. And yet, I believe this one scene in the life of Joseph is going to give us a vision for how God has called us to relate to our families. And I believe he wants to do something about your family today. Are you with me? Is this too awkward? Are we good? We're good? Okay, if you have your Bible, hold it up all over this room. If you're in the lobby, hold it up as well. Hold it up, hold it up. 10 a.m., you had plenty of time to get to church. Everybody look around. Judgmental Christian stare at those who didn't bring theirs. Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter 42. We'll do the single people Bible drill tonight at the 7. You can come back for that one. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, I don't, I really, I don't mean to be funny. We will order you a Bible. We'll get you a Bible. We place a high value on carrying a physical Bible with you. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 42, verse 1. I know the 10 is like the most popular service time, but until you come to the 7 p.m., y'all have no idea what's happening here at 7. If you've been... You know what I'm talking about. It is crazy how much people are ready to encounter God at 7. So I'd, I'd just check it out, especially the older adults in the room. You need to see what's happening here at 7 p.m. It gets crazy because seven's God's number. And so Genesis chapter 42, we're going to start in verse 1. Here's what's happened. Joseph, after being sold into slavery, has been thrown into prison, but now he has been called up from the prison to interpret Pharaoh's dream. You need to hear this very quickly. Pharaoh had a dream about seven years of feasting and seven years of famine. So Joseph tells Pharaoh there's going to be seven years where the land is just producing crazy amounts of crops, but then there's going to be seven years of nothing. And so if we don't save something during those first seven years, we're going to run out in the next seven years. There's a sermon there, and it's this. If you're in a season and you're like, I'm not really going through much right now, don't think that you don't need to be stowing away the promises of God for a day where you're going to need to grab some of those and go, man, I didn't need that when I received it, but now I need it right now. And that's what Joseph does. He has the foresight to know we got to save grain. So the whole world is coming to Egypt to get grain just to survive, including Joseph's brothers. And where we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 42, verse 1, is with Joseph's dad, Jacob, talking to his brothers like only a dad can. Genesis 42, verse 1, if you're there, say, I'm there. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? Anybody's family function like that. He continued, I have heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Jacob is sending his sons to go to Egypt to get grain, but he says, no, 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 Benjamin, you stay. Benjamin was Joseph's only full-blooded brother. The reason why Joseph was Jacob's favorite child was because Joseph was the first son born to Rachel, and that was Jacob's favorite wife. Yeah, you, you, you thought your family was complicated. <laughs> Try having a favorite wife, okay? This is, this is God's initial family, by the way. I want you to know this. Jacob means Israel. These are how the 12 tribes start. So you mean Jacob's brothers were all half-brothers? Yep. You got a half-brother, a half-sister, you can relate. But Benjamin and Joseph, full-blooded brothers. 
And so he says, Benjamin, stay in. Because last time I let Joseph go out with you guys, he never came back. This reveals that Jacob actually blamed his sons for Joseph's death, even though they claimed it was an animal. He always held it against them. And he's like, I'm not losing my other favorite. If your family struggles with favoritism, if your family struggles with parents who blame their kids for stuff that happened 20 years ago, you can relate. Genesis 42, pick it up in verse 5. So Israel, that's still Jacob, Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams. This is where the series came from. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. This is the moment where the dream comes true. This is the epic, climactic conclusion where Jacob is reunited to his brothers, and he starts acting like a crazy person. This is what threw me off about this story, is that pretty much Joseph's character up until this moment is very consistent. He is the best guy to be around. He's the guy you want to entrust with your stuff. He's kind relationally. He's connected to God. I mean, Joseph has got it going on. And then at the moment Joseph remembers his dream, he does something so out of character that reveals how much pain he is actually in. He's like, you guys, you guys are spies. Now, they don't recognize him because he's Egyptian royalty. Okay, picture a lot of makeup potentially a wig, like you, you, they wouldn't recognize him physically, but they also would never think that their brother who they sold into slavery would be in a prominent high level position in Egypt at all. So their minds can't even comprehend, even if he did look like Joseph, but Joseph can recognize them. And it's been two decades and he does not know what to do with seeing his brothers. The dreams come true. And all of a sudden Joseph's going, no, 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 no. Family is the dream. And I'll save you the work of having to read the next couple of chapters. For the next few chapters and the next few years, Joseph will do some messed up stuff to his brothers to test them, to trick them. One time, one time he plants a, a silver cup in his brother's bag and then has him caught for it and convicted of stealing and thrown in prison. He's messing with them. And I believe Joseph hasn't decided how he's going to handle his family in this moment. And his pain is on display for everybody to see, which is interesting because he's arrived at such a high level of prominence that you would think he doesn't care. And Joseph actually claimed 
that he didn't care. A chapter before this, Joseph has his first son, starts his own family. And, and if you know anything about Joseph, he has two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. But many of you have never heard this. Joseph actually named his first son Forget. And he says, it's because I've forgotten about my dad's family. You don't believe me? Look at this. If you're in your Bible, go back to, go back to chapter 41. I want to show you verse 50. It says, before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Okay, Joseph, do you see it? He just started his, whole, his own family, and the first thing he thinks of is sticking it to his dad and sticking it to his brothers. It's like, forget. Name him forget, because look at how great I am. I've forgotten all the trouble from back home. I've forgotten all the wrongs done to me. I've, oh, okay, clearly you've forgotten. Clearly you're over it. You ever heard somebody say, I'm over it? And you're like, well, the way you just said that reveals you're, you're not over it. You're under it. And, and uh, you, you, you've got some work to do. Joseph is like, name him forget. I've, I've forgotten. And then his brothers are in the very next scene. And the way he acts reveals, Joseph, you have not forgotten. And God is showing Joseph, Joseph, you are not okay. And I believe the message of this moment is this. This is going to hit in such a vulnerable place, but I believe you need to hear this. No amount of dreams coming true in your life will ever make up for your need to have internal peace in your family relationships that matter the most. You could arrive, you could be promoted, you could be more famous than anybody out there. You could have all the money in the world, you could have life go as good as it can possibly go for you. But if you don't have peace here, there will be something disconnected in your soul and you will be bleeding out from within. No amount of dreams coming true can replace the value of having internal peace here. And Joseph's going, no. This dream was supposed to be about you feeding people. It was supposed to be about me being faithful to you when no one else was watching. It was not. And God's going, oh, it was about that. But at the deepest level, it was about getting you healthy in your family. And Joseph's going, no. I'm, I'm good with being forgotten in the prison. I'm good with being tempted and staying faithful to you. I'm, but you... You want me to reconcile with my brothers? I can't do that. And he doesn't for a long, long time. But here's, here's what I believe to be the big revelation that's going to meet us in this moment. The big revelation for Joseph is that God had a dream for Joseph's family. Everybody look up here. Don't miss this. God had a dream for Joseph's family. And God didn't begin with Joseph's family God began with Joseph. If anyone has been wronged by their family in this room, it, there's probably some wrongs that have been done that would overwhelm us if we heard the truth about them. I don't think any of us have been sold into slavery by our siblings. He has a right to be mad. He has a right to not know what to do with them being in the room and not knowing who he is. You read it and you're like, yeah, you're good. But what's confusing is... When God reveals to Joseph that he wants to do something in Joseph's family, he comes after Joseph, not Joseph's brothers. 
If there is any revelation that God has given me in 2019 that has bothered me more than this one, I don't know of it. And it's this. The change that God wants to make in your family is the change God wants to make in you first. Joseph realizes this isn't about them being different. This isn't about them apologizing. This is about me being okay and healthy from within, even if they never apologize, and even if it's never the way I want it to be, and even if this never turns out the way it should have all along. And God's going, Joseph, the person I'm working on in this moment is you. Do you know out of all of those relationships I put on the screen, God's dream for your life is to do something on the inside of you before it is to change any of them. This is so helpful for you if you're engaged. This is the best marriage advice I can possibly give because you can spend an entire marriage thinking that a healthy marriage is on the other side of them changing, not realizing that what God is trying to do is turn the mirror this way and go, I'm doing something in you. I'm working on you. I'm coming for you. And I believe if every family started to take this one revelation to heart, The health of our families, if we stopped looking at everybody else as the problem and started going, regardless of how we've gotten here, what does it look like for God to do what he's trying to do on the inside of me so that I can function in all of these relationships in a healthy way? I keep saying that word healthy because you need to know today, God's dream for your family is not harmony. It's healthy. Like this, this needs to be the new standard for your family. And I know we are in the South. Harmony's the goal. Holidays together, the goal. Conversation without awkwardness, the goal. Stay away from politics, stay away from religion, stay away from, whoa. Like we, we want harmony. We want harmonious vacations. We want, we want, you wanna know why we want that so bad? It's because we're so scared of what it would look like to have a real, honest, vulnerable relationship with the people we love the most. Harmony is not God's goal. In fact, it could very well be God's will that you never have a conversation with some of the people that God wants to get you healthy from. Some of you who are going through abuse and you're going, oh, okay, I need to, I need to, I need to like forgive and I need to, yeah, we're going to talk about that, but it may not look like putting you back into a situation where you're going to be harmed. Harmony is not the goal. Healthy is the goal. And what God wants to do is get your family healthy by getting you healthy. And so instead of starting on what does God need to do in my parents and how does God need to prepare me to be a parent and what does God need to do in my marriage and how do I stop competing with my siblings, the question is, what is Jesus trying to do on the inside of my heart to put me in a position where I am healthy in my family? And I'll give you the answer in one word. You get a healthy family when you get a family who embraces humility. Humility is always the pathway to health. And what Joseph finds out is, oh my gosh, the only way my family's getting reconciled is if I get to the place where I decide I don't need to be right, I don't need to be first, and I don't need to be better. That's humility. If you function in your family not trying to prove something, but trying to give something, You have provided a brand new dream for generations. Humility is what ultimately leads to health. And so today, I believe we've got to confront bitterness. 
We've got to confront unforgiveness. We've got to confront our tendency to have a standard that's so impossible for the people we love the most to reach that it's actually wreaking havoc on our relationships. Even if your standards are good, the way you go about holding those standards instead of serving the people around you is wreaking havoc on your family. And nobody will say it because you're so perfect and you look like you're right, but you're actually wrong by being so right. See, humility looks like I don't need to be right. I don't need to have it my way. I don't need to have me be seen as better than you. I'm actually able to serve you. So good luck, guys. Go be humble. Go forgive your family members that have let you down. Go get rid of your expectations. Good luck on the whole bitterness thing. And let's pray. And this is the moment where if you're not paying attention, nothing I just said is helpful at all. Because this is the moment where you come to understand that humility is impossible. In the Bible, there's only one way to humility, and it's not laying down like a doormat and letting everybody run you over. The pathway to humility in the Bible is recognizing and acknowledging how honored you are by God. Humility and honor go hand in hand through the scriptures. In fact, the whole story of the Bible, here's the Bible summed up. God opposes the proud, but gives grace and shows favor to the humble. He exalts the humble, and he humbles the proud. But how, how do I get humility in my family? Here it is. Here it is. You can throw away just for a day. You can throw away your book on how to have a healthy marriage. You can throw away your parenting book. You can throw away your comparison book about you and your siblings. You can get rid of how to forgive my parents and how to have boundaries. You, you can just put those to the side for just a second and understand this. God has this thing rigged to where you can't be who you're called to be in your family until you accept who you're called to be in God's family. And so when I know how honored I am by my heavenly father, I now have the fulfillment to overflow in service to my family. It's not, hey, forgive them, love them, serve them, make it about them because you don't matter. It's not, hey, Joseph, that was okay that they did that. You need to get over it, bud. It's, hey, have you looked into heaven and felt the honor that comes from knowing God as a heavenly father? And have you embraced that and let that joy overflow out of you so much so that you no longer look at your family as a space where you can get? You look at your family as the space where you can give. It's so confusing for a lot of people in our church who start to get healthy spiritually to go back into their family that's so full of dysfunction because they're going... Wait, I, I did the right thing. Like, I found God and the, things aren't going well. Listen, listen. God did not get you healthy so that you can go point the finger at everybody else and show them what's wrong. God got you fulfilled internally so that you could pour it out in loving service and give them what they can't get anywhere else. Maybe they're crazy for a reason. And maybe everything will change when you take your mind off the 99.999% that's their fault and just start looking for the 0.0001% that's your fault. You want to have healthy relationships with everyone in your family. Look to take ownership over as many things as you can for what you could be doing better. And the only, you're like, that's not fun. That makes no sense. Except when I look at the cross. And now I've allowed the God of the universe to exalt me and honor me. Now I don't need the explanation. I don't need your apology. I don't need you to make it up to me because I've experienced a level of honor and love from my heavenly father 
that exists to overflow. I'm saying there's a relationship between my message two weeks ago and this one right now. What I talked about two weeks ago, sexual sin. You saw it in the video. And I told you from this stage, if you are in Christ, you have a perfect record before God in regards to your sexual brokenness. And we have people in the room could not fight back the tears. We have people falling on their face before God going, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. That's how good his grace is. But you need to know this. It is impossible to taste grace like that and keep acting on your own goodness in regards to those relationships that matter the most. How are you going to let Jesus love you like that and still expect your brothers and sisters to measure up? How are you going to experience that love and forgiveness and go, you call me son, you have called me daughter, you welcome me in, and still continue to berate your spouse about all the ways they've disappointed you? This is the way to get your family healthy. The people closest to you need you closest to Jesus, period. And when you're delighting in Jesus, guess what you've done? You've created an environment of health for everybody else. And even if nobody apologizes, and even if you've got to draw boundaries, and even if nothing ever changes, you know what changed? Your heart. And that was God's goal all along. God wants you healthy. God wants you free from the bondage of bitterness. And the way to do it is to let him love you and let him honor you. Is this helping anybody? Somebody say family is the dream. Family is the dream. I don't want this to get too awkward because I know it's intense. I got two points, and then we're out of here. Number one is this. How do I do it? I need you to release the bitterness of your unmet expectations. Release the bitterness of your unmet expectations. And really, all relational tension resides here. Unmet expectations. Whether you've been severely wronged like Joseph or you just continue to be disappointed God's remedy for both of those situations is letting it go and releasing that bitterness because bitterness is a prison. And the one imprisoned is not the one you're angry at. The one imprisoned is your heart. You've got to be able to let go. And what Joseph notices for years is that his, his brothers aren't the one who have a problem. He's the one who has a problem. And do you know what breaks the slavery of Joseph's heart in this story? I've waited all week long to tell you this. You can probably see it on my face that I'm like, I can't wait to tell him. I can't wait to tell him. I can't wait to tell him. Is this the right moment? Is this the right moment? This is it. Do you know why Joseph revealed himself to his brothers? Because he locked up Benjamin for a crime that Benjamin didn't commit. Remember the whole silver cup thing? And one of Joseph's brothers pulls him aside and says, hey, I can't go back to my dad without him. So lock me up, but send Benjamin back. Do you know which brother did that? Judah. Judah will become the tribe that Jesus is born into. This is one of the first instances in the Bible of substitutionary. Trade me for him. I'll go to prison because I'm not going back to dad without his favorite son. Do you know what the name Benjamin means? Son of my right hand. Son of blessing. It's a picture of God has so honored us that Jesus was going to come down and he was not going back into heaven without trading his life for our freedom. And Judah says, take me. And then Joseph can't handle it anymore. Genesis chapter 45, if you still have your Bible in front of you, this is it. 
And if you have your Bible in front of you, this is such a bonus moment because I want you to go to 45 and I want you to look up at 44 where Judah says, now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. That's a picture of Jesus. And we don't have it on the screen because I just think it's cool and think you needed to know that. But then watch what happens. Chapter 45, verse 1. We'll have this on the screen. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph. I am the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there have been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will still be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of this entire household, and ruler of Egypt. Do you see it? Love breaks down Joseph's heart, and now he's going, I would rather have a relationship with you then prove that I'm right. Would you rather have a healthy relationship with your family members or prove that you're right? And I honestly want to ask that question. But then he shows his hand and he says, listen, I've received all this from God. And because I've received all this from God, I don't need you to apologize. And I don't need you to be angry with yourselves. And I definitely don't need you to be afraid that I'm going to do something to get back at you because I'm good. It's taken a couple of years, but I'm Good. See, for God, releasing the bitterness always begins with grabbing a hold of God's charges against you being dropped. Joseph knows that he's favored by God, and so he's able to extend forgiveness. So I can stand up here all day and say, be like Joseph, y'all. Don't wait two years. Come on. Don't let sin against you produce sin in you. Come on. Let it go. I I was going to sing because that's all I hear all week is let it go. All week, let it go, just drop it. And you're like, that's so easy when I read it about somebody else's story, but that's not easy in the daily struggle of married life. That's not easy when there's decades of tension. That's not easy. Here's the thing. Point number one, can we go back to point number one? Point number one is actually completely impossible. The only way to do this is to hold on to point number two. So I'm going to tell you what it is. You ready? You're going to start by releasing the bitterness of your unmet expectations, but you're going to do it by holding on to the joy of your ultimate salvation. That's how. Anytime in the Bible where God challenges people to forgive and drop their bitterness, he gives an incentive, which is remember how God has loved you. So in Matthew chapter 18, when Peter asked Jesus, hey, how many times should we forgive our people who wrong us? And Peter says, he goes, seven times. And everybody's around Peter, and they're like, Peter, seven's a lot. <laughs> okay. Like, 
trying to be Jesus' favorite. You already were. And so, sorry, John is, Peter's second. And, and they're like, man, geez, seven times? And Jesus says, no, 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 70 times seven. Forgiveness is unlimited. And whenever I hear that preached, I hear people go, yeah, just forgive people. Jesus did not stop there. He told a story after he said that. He told a story about a king who had canceled a debt for a servant. And then that servant goes and holds a smaller debt against someone so much so that he physically assaults him and almost throws him in prison. The message was, you need to always be able to drop your bitterness toward anyone and everyone because you're so joyful in the fact that God has forgiven you and dropped the charges against you. The pathway to healthy in your family is enjoying the fact that God saved you. Do you believe that God loves you well and does your family know that? If the people closest to you need you closest to Jesus, how close are you to Jesus today? You get that right, guess what you've done? You have redefined your family for generations. And I just, I just wanna speak to some of the Auburn family arrogance about love for our families because I know there are some great moms and dads and some great kids and some great marriages in this room. You need to know this. God does not want the foundation of your family to be your love for your family. That is an idol. God wants the foundation of your family to be his love for you that never fails. And that hurts, but you need to know this. You want God's love to start your marriage. You want God's love to sustain your family. You do not want it to be on you. And I know you love your kids a lot. I know you love your spouse a lot. I know you love your siblings, but you are messed up. You're like Joseph. You do not need God to build your family on your love for them. You need your family to know how passionately in love with Jesus you are. And if you build a family on that, oh, it's going to be imperfect. It's not always going to have harmony, but it'll be healthy. And that health will start on the inside of you. I'm going to close with this. We were starting our family a couple of years ago, and it was crazy because Courtney was pregnant with Aniston at the exact same time that we were building our home here in Auburn, and our, our church had just started, so it felt like so many foundations were going in place at the same time. I was freaking out. I, mean, I was like, I'm about to be a dad. We're building a house. This is crazy. And that summer, summer of 2016, was the summer that a worship song called Build My Life came out. And when that song came out, I remember moving into our house and Aniston's room had no furniture in it. And I would go into that room and I'd grab my phone and I'd find that song and blast it into my ears as I shouted those words over our future kids. And this was, this was the seed of how our family began. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. That was like my song during that time. So fast forward, Aniston was born on January 12th, 2017, and I had freaked out about that moment that she was going to be born because I was like, this is, I'm not ready for this. Some of the parents in the room, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, I was like, what is going to happen? And I planned for the first time I hold her, I want to pray within the first 10 seconds. I just want to pray something over her life, and I don't know what I'm going to pray in that moment. I am not adding or subtracting a detail from this story. My daughter, Aniston, gets handed to me and out loud, I'm 
like, okay, God, whatever you give me to pray, I start praying. And I say, God, I pray that she would love you. And it was a moment where in my head, I had decided to say something with my mouth and God just grabbed it. And I said, God, I pray that she would love you. And I was going to say, I pray that she would love you the way that I love you. And in that moment, I was freaked out of letting those words come out of my mouth because I knew if she loves you the way I love you, she's gonna be a mess. I, I'm like, no, my love, what came out of my mouth, and I believe the Spirit of God took possession of my tongue as I said, God, I pray that she would love you the way you have loved me. And in that moment, I knew I'm attaching my family to an enduring love. I'm attaching my family to more than human effort. I'm attaching my family to more than financial resources. I'm attaching my family to the only foundation that can withstand the storm and the test of time, and it's the love of Jesus. So here's the question I have for you today. Moms, dads, husbands, wives, brothers, and sisters. Does it make you overjoyed in your heart of hearts to be forgiven by Jesus? Do you want your family to stand on your best efforts for the rest of your life? Or do you want to trade that in in this moment and go, I want our marriage, I want my future built on the love of God. And if I let him love me long enough, I can forgive them. I can drop the bitterness. I can be like Joseph and choose the relationship over needing to prove myself. And I can walk in this life as a healthy member of the family of God. That's what God's dreaming about. Man, I'd love to see God do something great through your life. I'd love to see you make a lot of money. I, I would love to see you change the world for the glory of God. You know what God wants the most? God doesn't want you to cry when you think about your family because you're so hurt. God wants you to have hope full of faith in your heart going, God's story for my family is unfolding. And he can redefine generations in a moment if you attach yourself to his love. You can put your notes away. Let's stand up all over this room. We're going to sing that very chorus and I just want to invite you in this moment to not sing about yourself. I want you to sing over your family. If you got to go, you got to go. This is an opportunity for you to literally sing over the future of your family. And so in this moment, I want you to sing this over your family. And I want your family to be able to see that you care, to see that you're engaged with Jesus. If you're engaged to be married, how cool would it be to not base your marriage on advice for how to get along? but to base your marriage on the love that God has shown you over and over again. Let's bow our heads all over this place. If you're here today and you'd say, Miles, I would love to sing about God's love for me, but I don't even know if I'm a part of God's family. It's a very simple step. All you gotta do is accept the finished work of Jesus that's been done on your behalf and say, God, I give you my life. Jesus, I recognize that you did what you did for me and I say yes to it. I want to follow you with my life. If that's you today, just pray, Jesus, I give you my life. But if you're here today and you would say, I've given my life to Jesus, but I don't know if I've ever given my family to Jesus. I don't know if I've ever given my heart in all of these difficult spaces. Would you just pray this simple prayer? Jesus, I give you my family. I want to build my future. I want to build their future on your love shown for me on the cross. And so in the name of Jesus, 
I pray that families would be redefined by what they've heard today. I pray that humility would grow where pride has been sown. I pray that the blood of Jesus would do what only the blood of Jesus can do and provide a new beginning for the families that are so down and out and broken that they didn't think they could get a second chance. In the name of Jesus, would you provide sons and daughters for those who are barren? Would you provide a new beginning for people who have completely given up? And would you show us that the greatest dream you ever had was bringing us into your family? Sing it out, church. Come on.